Welcome to Extra Vision with me, Andy McCarl, and on today's show, we will be reviewing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, as well as reviewing the series as a whole. And it is my honor, my pleasure, my privilege to accept the mission today with my guest, a man who I've called a right Ethan Hunt on more than one occasion. It's movie critic Chris Wasser. Chris, how are you today, sir? What an intro. Somehow that's even better than the intro you gave me for the Rocky discussion we had a while back. So, look, I'll take it. And it will self-destruct once this recording is finished. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into it today, Tom Cruise... He is the last movie star, in my opinion. What's your relationship with Tom Cruise? Yeah, I think he is the last true movie star. And isn't it so strange that if you go back to like the early 90s or maybe the mid 90s, around the around about the time that he was working with Steven Spielberg on War of the Worlds, everything in Tom Cruise's personal life, everything that was happening there, you know, him jumping up and down on Oprah's couch, doing interviews where he was talking about how, you know, psychiatry should be outlawed and he didn't agree with, you know, what was it, Brooke Shields using antidepressants, all of these weird interviews and views and troubling opinions that were coming out. You just thought to yourself, this guy's career is just about to implode. And this is, this is how the Tom Cruise phenomenon ends. 15 years, or, you know, whatever it is, like 15, 18 years later, it seems everyone has just forgotten about that. And he just has completely reinvented himself. He stopped talking about his private life. He stopped talking about anything other than movies. He has just changed his brand. He has he literally comes with his own tagline now, we'll see you at the movies. And he just focuses on trying to impress us so much on the screen. No longer, you know, in real life in terms of, you know, doing the, he's, he's it seems as though he's always on the, on the promo trail, but it's always about these big event films now. And he's gone from being someone that I just laughed at and also sat here and worried about in a way, you know, especially the stuff that he was coming out to just someone whose films I can't wait to see on the big screen and someone whose films I will watch over and over again. I don't know how he's done that. We remember all of the weird stuff, but we just don't talk about it anymore. So for me, Tom Cruise is in the good books. You know, he is the last true movie star. He's got a sort of bankability that no other actors out there have at the minute i mean i know a lot of people will, will, might, might throw you know some some superhero or some comic book actor names at me but i think with those films you're going to see the characters with tom cruise's films you're just going to see it because it's a tom cruise picture a hundred percent i think that's kind of why mission impossible for me stands out as the anomaly because i don't think other than top gun last year he hasn't done sequels and everything he's done is on the strength of his name like the reason i'm saying with the last movie he hasn't had like Travolta kind of exploded and then went into the wilderness, had his comeback and then went again. He hasn't really had that. Even when he has like the likes of Lions for Lambs or Valkyrie or Night and Day, he's got the Mission Impossible like Ghost Protocol to put him back on uh, on track then. And then like the likes of Jack Reacher or Edge of Tomorrow. Films like that to kind of get. He hasn't had, you know, five or six bombs in a row. He's no. always been very, very good at picking. OK, here's the recovery film now. Yeah, I was actually getting, I was, I was I was thinking that that he's never had, you know, a five, six or seven year bad streak. He's the only time that the, the only time that actually something has gone wrong in his career hasn't been the result of him, you know, jumping up and down on other people's furniture. It's because maybe he tried to do something that, you know, didn't really suit him. And he did have, you know, Lions for Lambs. He had Valkyrie night and day. And, and you're thinking to yourself, they're all, you know. They all might be decent films for someone else, but not for not for not for Tom Cruise. So going back to the Mission Impossible, well, you know, I think that's the that's the best decision he ever made. The second best decision he ever made was like what I said to you know stop talking about himself whenever he was being interviewed. Um, and I think also there, there there's a there's a big there's a comfort factor about you know Tom Cruise's films. And this is the weird thing to say because we're talking about someone who has been involved in every genre from high end sci fi to romantic comedies. 
highfalutin horror, thrillers, action movies, drama, the whole works. And yet every time you, you go see a Tom Cruise film, you know kind of what you're going to get. You, you, there, there's going to be good guys. There's going to be bad guys. You know, there's going to be a, a journey. I mean, Roger Ebert even wrote about it, you know, 30 odd years ago when he was reviewing Days of Thunder, that there is such a thing as he thought as the as the Tom Cruise picture. And he gave this wonderful list of ingredients that you always get. And you're thinking 30 odd years later, it, it is that thing. You go in. And there's a comfort knowing I'm going to have a good time here. It might not even be the best Tom Cruise film, that, you know, but but I'm still I'm going to have a good time. There's an event quality to it. Uh, so, yeah, he hasn't had a bad streak. He still knows how to make make films and he's still trying to impress us. And I don't I can't think of many, you know, other 61 year old actors who are trying to do that. I would disagree slightly with the, the concept of a Tom Cruise film. I think okay. he's gone far beyond like you, you would see the kind of the, the famous model, you know, one for them, one for me. Uh, with studio model, you know, you do a big studio picture and then you do something that's more to your your taste. But he, like he does things like interview with the vampire or, or working with Stanley Kubrick on Isles White Show, even the the likes of Magnolia or, or Tropic Thunder. Like this don't seem like the same guy, and it doesn't seem as calculated as it would be. Like he is, you know, the Tom Cruise brand, but I feel like he sits down, and goes, "Okay, here's my next move." I think he just genuinely loves making films and whatever interests him. Like I don't think. It's been a long time since Tom Cruise worked for a paycheck, put it that way. So to see him throw himself into these Mission Impossible, like the stunts have become his brand, essentially. He's 60 years old and he's still doing stuff like this. So he's an anomaly in my point. I think he's constantly reinventing and constantly changing. So I would slightly disagree about, you know, a textbook Tom Cruise formula. I just, but you know what? I was looking at this. It was, um, as I said, it was Roger Ebert who said it. And he gave like, I think it was eight, nine points you know, these are the nine kind of, you know, targets you're going to hit with a Tom Cruise film. And he was talking about how, you know, Cruise's character um, at that time, uh, you know, and you can kind of change this up, you know, all these years later is going to be this, you know, spirited, charismatic character who's a little bit naive and has some things to learn. And maybe there might be a mentor involved. There's going to be a superior woman. The superior woman's almost always taller. Uh, there's a craft. There's an arena, a trail, a proto enemy and a real enemy. And yeah, I was I was kind of looking at it there recently and thinking, okay, this actually does still apply to Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, you can kind of, I'm not sure if there's a mentor in, in Mission Impossible. You look at Eyes Wide Shut and you think to yourself, yeah, maybe, yeah, this character's on a journey and then there's a proto-enemy here and then the superior woman's obviously Nicole Kidman. I think if you strain yourself, you can definitely do it. Uh, I think that he doesn't, he does, you know, he never makes the same film twice, but there are commonalities there between the films, even though, as I said, he has traversed every genre. I, again, it's just there, there, there's no one else like him. Look at the actors he actually came up with. Do you remember, have you, you've, you've seen The Outsiders. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Look at the other actors in there. And unfortunately, not all of them are, 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 are with us anymore. But none of them have ever taken the sort of risks or none of them are ha, have had the same career path as Tom Cruise. And I'm talking about Tom Cruise's career as though I'm an expert in, in how exactly he's been able to make himself up. How come he did what he's been able to do and the others didn't? Because even in that cast, what was it? Matt Dillon, Patrick Swayze and Rob Lowe, they were kind of, Rob Lowe, yeah. they're the, these were going to be the guys that were going to be the, the the big standout. I know Swayze obviously had the likes of Dirty Dancing and Ghost, but like Matt Dillon, it never really happened for. Ralph Macchio was in that as well, Craddy Kid. Yeah. None of them had anything resembling the career he had. And it's, interesting to me that they like they did take a, a lot of risks on their side as well but like they just seem to pay off for him 
in ways that it didn't for the others. Yeah, it's kind of a funny one because you go back and you watch The Outsiders now and you think, my God, <laughs> you know, uh, so many... The bad teeth and all. Uh, just, but, but at the same time, there is, there is something there. There was enough there for, you know, casting agents and directors to go, right, we'll give them a shot. You know, here's a script, here's Risky Business, go and, you know, impress us, you know, leave your mark. But but you, you watch it now and you think how did how was there room for I know I'm saying like you know Tom Cruise went and had a career like 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 no one else and that you know nowadays I mean look at what what Dylan is doing look at what Rob Lowe is doing like it's not it's not it's not the same but you 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 go back and you think how was there enough room in that decade for them all to you know have their have their little moments uh, yeah I just I can't explain it there was obviously something there his 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 sense though was was so unusual because there I think he had like two or three films behind him when he did The Outsiders and then all of a sudden just risky business changed everything he started off the 80s as like this supporting actor that no one had ever heard of and then finished it you know in in a best picture winner and with his first academy award nomination for born on the fourth of july that is some decade just look at there just clicked onto his, his filmography like after he gets uh, the outsiders and risky business legend top gun color of money cocktail rain man born on the fourth of july days of thunder far and away few good men the firm Interview with the Vampire, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire. Like, that is a streak that is up there with anyone. It would take out Legend. Yeah, it would take out <laughs> Legend. Legend's not the worst. I'd be, be taking out Days of Thunder if I'm taking it out in there. Oh, no. I, day, days of Thunder, I, I would keep in there over Legend. Uh, maybe Far and Away would have to come out. I was going to say Far and Away, and you've completely robbed that from me now. I've just. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, fair play, play on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll get back to more current uh, movies. So the one that's at the cinema at the moment is about an aging hero who teams up with a sexy young thief to find two halves of a potentially world-ending device. But I think we've talked about Died of Destiny enough. Instead, we're going to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Before we start, I was joking about the Indiana Jones thing, but it's kind of to see like another icon, Harrison Ford, how horrendous that film was and how, you know, essentially the same storyline, how well this is done now with, with that reckoning chris what was your take on it yeah it's quite interesting too that they both have these lengthy sequences indiana jones's one is at the beginning of the film whereas dead reckoning has leaves until the end where there are characters fighting on top of you know high-speeding trains in, in europe I, I i found that a little bit strange um but at the same time i think as impressive as it was with indiana jones kind of felt nothing watching it you don't watch a mission impossible film and and sit there and feel nothing you feel everything that you should when you go to the cinema in the summer to see blockbusters um and i got on very well with with, with dead reckoning part one um better than that title would suggest I, I think whenever i come across a title that long in any other series i go why can't you just call it why can't you just say put a number after the title what and and with this one i was just like oh, that's fine you can have your big long title because the film is just so well put together um there were times where i worried that it might be a little too convoluted or too kind of you know heavy with exposition when it comes to actually explaining the plot um but i i let this film away with a loss because it almost always has its tongue in in cheek and it almost always kind of reminds us that the plot despite the fact that the characters are always talking about what's happening it's not really important <laughs> you know you can you can kind of tune out and you come back in you can leave to go to the loo or get your popcorn whatever and you can come back and go oh yeah we're back here and i also loved as well like you had um do you remember that scene in the, in the near the beginning where you've got all of these you know really important security chiefs sitting around and yapping to each other and telling telling one another uh you know what what's at stake here and 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 what this key is about you've got mark gaddis and rob delaney in there playing these really important security chiefs. And I was thinking to myself, 
Chris McCurry, the director, he's trolling us here. He's he is. I don't know what what he's doing casting these guys, but I think he might be kind of letting us know. Yeah, all this stuff sounds a little bit serious, but look, we've got all of these, you know, like funny lads kind of telling us what's going on in here. So you know, you let us away with it. Um, I think the the action sequences are among the most spectacular that I've seen uh, a crews involved in. Everyone's talking about the train thing. There is a chase sequence in the middle of this film that goes down. This is the most spectacular scene I've se- I've seen in the last five years in any in any action film, and it essentially involves Hunt, um, unfortunately handcuffed uh, to his new supporting player, uh, Haley Atwell's Grace, who is superb in this, and the chemistry between them is brilliant too. Um, they are trying to get away from I think three sets of bad guys, and hunt has to you know try and find i think he has some sort of getaway car somewhere in rome he takes out his little getaway car gizmo and thinks oh you know it's going to be a porsche it's going to be some sort of fast sports car it's not it's a tiny yellow banged up fiat 500 and they have to try and drive it with their hands crossed over one another because they're handcuffed and i do not know how they did it but this film never relies too heavily on CGI. It's all practical effects. It's all the actors that we see on screen doing as many stunts as they can without bringing in stunt actors. It is just thrilling stuff. Did you did you enjoy that bit? I absolutely loved it from start to finish. And this is something I've been waiting for for a while. The way you spoke about that and the way you spoke about Dial of Destiny, where there, everything had a caveat, where it was like, oh, well, if you think this and then this and if you want this... This has no caveat. This is just good. You yeah. don't need to make an excuse for any aspect of this or for anyone in it. Like I said, Haley Atwell for me is the MVP in this. I thought she was absolutely fantastic in that. And that was everything that Dial of Destiny thought that um, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was going to be in that. Will you admit now, Dial of Destiny isn't good and this is what an action summer film is supposed to be like? Oh, no, no. I will admit that Dial of Destiny is still good and it's still <sighs> past the time. <laughs> no, but, 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 but put it this way, Andy, the other day someone asked me that they were going to the cinema this weekend and they wanted to go see Dial of Destiny and Mission Impossible. And I just, I did. I said, look, Mission Impossible, because I can say that I will admit that, you know, it's, it's a good time with Indy, but it's a fabulous time with Tom. <laughs> you know it's you're going to sit there and you are going to find yourself it's an awful cliche but i was leaning towards the screen during that car sequence i was you know finding myself I, it was almost as though my seat was getting smaller and my palms were getting sweatier and it actually made me feel something which is what blockbuster should do and i said five years ago when fallout was released in cinemas that you know and at the time i got laughed at for saying this like that films like this released at the height of the summer when you don't want to be you know in a dark room you want to go to the beach you want to enjoy your summer they these are the kinds of films that make us want to go to the cinema in the summer and i and i'm and i'm gonna say it again it sounds silly but they are because the effort and the craft and the skill and the thought that's gone into you know making this a memorable cinema experience we're not seeing that anywhere else at the minute no the one thing I will agree with you on is the plot being somewhat convoluted. Oh, it is. It is Kittredge good. <laughs> I, I was kind of coming out of that going, like, wait, wait, is he good? Is he bad? Because he was at the start of the thing. I couldn't I quite know. put my finger on that. I was like, did I miss a turn here? Because he's shot in a way where it's like, oh, he's betraying them, but he's the one that they trusted. So I don't know. I mean, like, he kind of gets the last word there as well. And we're, we're not really sure. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about spoiling the film now. Uh, I, oh, we can spoil it away. I don't no, think I don't think you can spoil a Mission Impossible film. I mean, like the 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 fact that they've shown you how they did the stunt, and also they've shown you the stunts before you've gone to see the film. It's it's weird. It's almost like here are all the best bits. Come and see them on the big screen. That's what they're that's what they're doing with this. But Kittredge does get the final word in this film after he's had a conversation 
with one of one of the other main characters. We'll just leave it at that. And you're thinking to yourself, are there good things ahead for that character? Is he supposed to sound like a buddy? Because I think he might be. Our, I'm not. I don't really know anymore. Um, so the answer is, I don't know. And I do like the film. The, the title sequence essentially spoils the film. And like you said, the stunts and the build. I was surprised that the the motorbike stunt, which of course have been front and center of every bit of of promotional material. I was surprised how far into the film it is until yeah. that actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> because it was when I see him jumping on the bike, I was like, oh yeah, oh, but we're near the end. Hang on. This, they've been really upfront about what happens here. Yeah, when he got on the bike there about uh, 45 minutes, even maybe an hour from the end, I thought to myself, well, we're obviously leading up to this. He's on the bike. He's in his black gear. You know, he's 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 got a mountain behind him. I presume he's going to spend the next 20 minutes now going up that mountain. Yeah. <laughs> even when he was on the train, I was like, you are not catching this train, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. But they actually, they show you, they show you the stunt in the title sequence. Uh, and we've talked about this before. I love the fact that we're, we're about 25 minutes into Dead Reckoning Part 1 when a title sequence comes on. And I had forgotten about the fact that, you know, they still, the, 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 though these films are so far removed from the original 60s television series at this point, I like that Macquarie still puts in the title sequence to let you know here's how it used to be kids so basically we'd show you all of the series or in this case the film in a 60 second title <laughs> sequence all of the characters not the characters names but the actors names and you can sit there in the cinema and go oh can't wait to see that bit oh very much oh what's that about can't wait to they show you the whole bloody thing in a minute and i just i think you know it requires an awful lot of nerve and it's, it's quite a risky move but I'm glad that they did that. And when they actually did it for, for, for this one, I'd forgotten, first of all, that that was supposed to be there. And then when it came on, I went, yes, <laughs> it's just, there's nothing else like it. Another thing I'll just I'll say about the plot as well, it's a, it's just, it's kind of the, the baddie, for want of a better term, is uh, essentially an all-powerful AI system called the Entity. I'm still not entirely convinced that's not going to be the second film is going to reveal this is actually a human behind it all, after all. And the entity is just like this this front that they're doing. I just feel like Tom Cruise in the second film dismantling a computer isn't the kind of the satisfying conclusion to the series that I'd be looking for. What about you? No, there's definitely going to be a human behind it. Um, I actually was wondering about the human who... Gabriel, I'm again. I have this kind of mentality when we're when we're talking about a film on this podcast. It's like, can I say this? But then I'm also thinking, I'm not going to spoil anything here. I'm sure you can. I'm spoil sure away, ask, spoil I'm, sure, I'm sure if you ask Tom Cruise before he went to the cinema, he'd just tell you. Um, but we haven't seen the last of Gabriel. Uh, my big question is, was Gabriel um, written into that? It written into the you know Dead Reckoning Part One and Two late in the day because originally he was supposed to be played by Nicholas Holt. But what we're getting from but Nicholas Holt is is a great deal younger than the actor who plays Gabriel. So I'm thinking, was this a late in the day? The reason I'm, t- I'm bringing this up is because Gabriel is a character, or at least or at least Ethan thinks he is from his past. So it's all where I think in the next one we're going to see some people from the very f- first Mission Impossible. It's going to bring things for a circle. I'm not I'm not even sure how exactly it's going to do that, but I think we're looking at closing some sort of loop here. Um, so sorry, that was a very complicated answer. But basically, I think we're going to go back to start. I think there is going to be a human. But also, Andy, did you know that Nicholas Holt was going to play that character? And if so, was it going to be a different character? Because the age difference there is too big. I did know that. And I actually have that here in my notes to talk about that because I had the exact same points you did. My initial thought was that it would be too similar to... I don't know if John Wick Chapter 4 went into production around the same time and they cast um, uh, Skarsgård in that, who was very 
dimensionally, shall we say, similar to Nicholas Holt. And I, I heard that was kind of the, that was kind of the, the the tone that villain was supposed to take. Right. And then it was changed to this. And like I said, even the way it's tied to his past is very loosely done. It kind of feels like, you know, okay, we'll we'll allude to that, we'll fix it in the next one, sort of thing. So yeah. It didn't have any impact or much impact on me that aspect of the story. I'm sure when they have more chance, obviously this was written and, and made during COVID is those you remember Tom Cruise's infamous rant on set about that. So with a bit of time to to nail down the details and that, I'd be curious to see how they do that. Because even with you know all that going on in the background to still deliver a film like this, I think is an achievement of itself. Yeah, you've just reminded me of the of of the rant on set and 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 the fact that Tom Cruise essentially did a Christian Bale. Only this time, everyone was in. See what I mean? Even when even when Tom Cruise gives out to people now, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, but he was right though." He was a hundred percent right. Yeah, <laughs> and like, can you imagine the pressure that chap is under? Like, he is. Like with the greatest respect, uh, greatest respect to Macquarie, like this is Tom, this is the Tom Cruise show. Like if, if Macquarie wants to do a shot that Tom Cruise doesn't want, it, it's not getting done. That's true. And that was the, the big blockbuster in the moment. He was saying like studios were on to him asking like, how are you doing it? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this on our side? And you know, in his head with his ego, he's like, it is my responsibility to save cinema as a whole. I will save the movie industry single-handedly. And then some poor <laughs> bastard walked onto a screen that he shouldn't have walked over to and he got the full wrath of full Tom Cruise on that side. And to be honest, I 100% agree with him. Oh, if he wasn't wearing a mask as well. I mean, if they were trying to, yeah, that's, that, that, that's then, then you know, the the boss of the show, which is Cruise, not McCory, was kind of, you know, was right to lose the head of him. But you're saying that it's Tom Cruise's show, it's not Chris McCory, but it's Chris McCory's face we're going to see on the news one day when a big banner report will come saying Tom Cruise has died trying to save cinema. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fell out of a spaceship like... He wouldn't be the force. I remember Jordan Mission Impossible 2. There was that scene where he's on the rock climb and, and they couldn't get the insurance for it. And Tom Cruise essentially said, well, I will find someone who will insure me. And John Woo was like crouched down behind the camera. He's not even looking with his hand over his eyes. Just going, just tell me when he is back up the cliff. Because all he could think of was like, you know, John Woo kills Hollywood A-list actor, never working again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's quite grim that I'm actually going to say, that's going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. But, you know, he is. I've seen clips as well of, of Chris McQuarrie. I think when they were doing the um, when they were doing the motorbike stunt where he is, he's running his hands over his head going, he wants to do it again. Because <laughs> they ended up doing it like six times in one day. And that was just for the one day. I think they went off and did it again a few more times. So, yeah, he's um, he's the world's weirdest perfectionist. He just seems like he hasn't got any close friends or anything. He just seems to collect skills. He is like, he's basically living life like a computer game where you just basically accrue things as you go along. There's an interview with him in Wired this month. I know that thing where it's like you, you peel off the sticker and you go, it's like, can Tom Cruise fly a plane? Yes, he can. I'm a certified commercial pilot. I can do this. Can Tom Cruise fly a helicopter? Yes, I can. Can he hold his breath for six minutes? Yeah, well, actually, I learned how to do this. I can play guitar. I can play piano. I was like, do you just sit and like basically like the Matrix just download skills every couple of weeks? Like, you forget this guy is 60 years old and he just seems like the oracle of everything. Yeah, but Tom Cruise, you know, the, one of the questions should be, can Tom Cruise, you know, answer a simple question when it comes to asking what his favorite film is? No, he, 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 he can't. I saw he was he was asked on the red carpet, although it's a stupid question. I, everyone, everyone keeps asking everyone else who has a film out around Oppenheimer and Barbie. You know, if you can only choose one film, Oppenheimer Barry, it's just a stupid question. But one interviewer asked Tom Cruise this, and he just started talking about how, well, you know, the way I used to do it was I used to plan my days, and, and my days would just be going from one movie theater to another movie theater. 
And, and it's just like, well, no one asked for that, Tom. That's not what we were. That's not what you were asked. And then eventually he says, I think what I'm going to do is Barbie on the Friday night, Oppenheimer on the Saturday. And it's like, he is just incapable of answering even a stupid question like well, that. Even on that, he said, I'll, I'll watch probably Oppenheimer in the morning on a sold out cinema. And then I'll go across town to another screen and a sold out cinema and watch Oppenheimer. It's like, why don't you just stay in the same cinema? And what, like even the the way he'd answered that is bizarre. It's like we're just staying in the same goddamn cinema. I'm sure they're going to be showing it too. Tom Cruise is not going to a sold out cinema. It might no. if we were in the cinema and Tom Cruise walked in. <laughs> I think I actually, I actually, I think I'd be too nervous to watch a film with Tom Cruise. I'd be worried he'd get up and draw a stone in the middle of a film or something. Oh, have you ever seen the clip where he went to see Tenant? Like even the way like he gets brought in a, a London cab to see Tenant. Yeah, and even the way he opens the car door is the most like intense thing in the world. Striding in at the end of the film, he's clapping like a seal, and someone just kind of sees him walking. Out. I watch him absolutely loved it, fantastic film. And you're like, oh good Jesus! You need to get him on the show. An intense Tom Cruise cinema review. I'm also not entirely convinced he's actually seen a film because he never talks about specifics in relation to performance, plot, story. It's always everything was the best ever. I saw the Flash. The Flash was the best thing I ever seen. The Blue Beetle was the best thing I ever seen. I wonder if he's even watching these films and just someone's gone to him and say, could you mind if we just say that you said this was good? It's it's going to save cinema and see at the movies. But this is going back into it. Tom Cruise hasn't given a troubling opinion in an interview or just, you know, in a, I'm sure in a, in a conversation with any human uh, since 2008 or since 2009. He just decided, that's it. I'm, I'm done talking about, you know, I'm done kind of saying this is great, this, but I'm just going to say everything's great. I'm just going to say movies all the time i'm going to use the term movies over and over until people are sick of it we're not yet but he he just he when he's even asked what is your favorite film of all time he just starts kind of listing off all of these hollywood legends but he never says what film it is and i'm not sure whether he just i'm not gonna help you know promote a rival studio here i don't want to cause upset i don't want to say this thing is better than that because what if i run into a person that was connected with that he's just like i'll just I'll just say they're all great, and that's it. It's working for him. It certainly is. The evolution as well of the, these Mission Impossible, like these were supposed to be an anthology series. Like you think I rewatched the the first one recently? It's I think that was nineteen ninety six. That first one, the Brian De Palma, yeah, and then John Woo, who we talked about, obviously a very different film. Uh, Abrams doing three. Like this was supposed to be his anthology series. Would you rather it had kept going on that style, where you know he got people like Abrams, he got people like Brad Bird? Even even Christopher McQuarrie for uh, Rogue Nation, giving him a, a shot at that. Would you rather have seen that? Or are you happy with the fact that this is now, you know, the McQuarrie Tom Cruise show? I think I'm happy. I think it's it's very rare that you know, so many years into a franchise, like twenty years into a franchise, that it would actually start to <laughs> start to find its groove. It's usually at that point that a franchise get a little bit rusty or worn out. Um, but I think bringing in McQuarrie. It has helped. And I know we said that it's the Tom Cruise show, but McCarty has like done wonders for, for Cruise's career. And he was doing it, you know, outside of the Mission Impossible films, you know, he, having a hand in, in in Edge of Tomorrow. And then also kind of, you know, I, he, he was more than just a contributor in terms of, you know, producing or story credit for Taco Maverick. He was heavily involved in that. Um, I think the two of them have cracked some sort of storytelling code. They've managed to create, you know, these intricate, but very simple, you know, intricately choreographed and stunted and everything and all the rest of it, but very simple and entertaining blockbusters together. I think the original, you know, Mission Impossible films, you know, they are good, except for, you know, I do have my problems with the first one and I'd be okay if I never saw the second one ever again. But the, the yeah, the the, the rest of them, they were quite promising. But I think over the last few years in Macquarie, 
no, there, there's a there, 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 there's there's some nice themes there. There's some nice characters that I I quite I think these are the only films. I don't mean to be bad to Simon Pegg, but over the last few years, you know, the characters that he's played and the and the the, the career choices that he's made, I haven't really been on board with an awful lot of it. But in these films. I quite like his character. I quite love seeing, you know, Ving Rhames, you know, being the 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 computer whiz at Ethan's side. I like the stories with, you know, that 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 we've gotten with Michelle Monaghan. I know she was there from from a while back. Just on Peg as well. We dodged a bullet with that. Something ferocious. Oh, with Ricky Gervais, you mean? Ricky Gervais was casting that initially. Now I'm sure he would have been killed off screen quite violently after the first film because I can't see Tom Cruise putting up with him for a long period of time. But just imagine how different those films would be with Ricky Gervais in that role. I think if you were to take a scene from Dead Reckoning where Simon Pegg's where Benji is, uh, you know, basically in the bells of an airport uh, dismantling what he thinks is a nuclear bomb and he is sweating his face off and he's trying to solve this puzzle that will stop this bomb. And he's also on a call with Ethan and they have this hilarious exchange where, you know, Ethan's saying to him, if there's a bomb and if it's a nuclear bomb, you tell me about it straight away, not when there's a minute left to go. Um, and Simon Pegg is brilliant in this scene. And I truly believe that he believes in this moment that he's about to die. And it's all very convincing and quite entertaining and thrilling and all the rest of it. With Ricky Gervais, we could potentially have had something just disastrous, just where it relied too heavily on you know bad one-liners, where you know we, we 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 I don't think Ricky Gervais is as good an actor as Simon Pegg. Uh, I don't think he would have been able to do the kind of things that are recorded. I just think it could have been disastrous. Jesus, yeah, we did really did dodgeball. I think he would have been Jonathan Rhys Meyers, just you know, in for one and then just completely ignored, and we'll never speak of him ever again. You know, and I haven't said it yet because the, you know the 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 third one is an awful lot of fun, and I think it's when it's actually. I think the third one you can start to see when the Mission Impossible that we have now. I think that, you know, the, the, the way the series kind of moves and breeds now, like that all started with the third one. Forgot Jonathan Reese Myers was in there. Didn't he have an Irish name as well? In this? Didn't he have some sort of, uh, what was Jonathan Reese Myers' name in, in the third no one? No idea. We're going to Google this now. I'm going to have to Google that now. Jonathan Reese Myers was called De- Declan Gormley. <laughs> Declan Gormley. <laughs> the most Irish name that ever did Irish. Aaron Paul was apparently in Mission Impossible 3 as well. I don't remember him in it. Where? He, Rick, a character called Rick Mead. No idea. I don't remember that. No. Lawrence Fishburne, who I've also forgot was in that film. Yeah, I'm looking through the credits now. We've also got Eddie Marsden in there. I do not remember Eddie Marsden. Well, I know what I'm doing tonight now. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the midst of the rewatch now. I start going backwards. I'm also in the middle of the Chris Nolan one uh, before Oppenheimer. Thankfully, there's no uh, Barbie anthology I need to go back into. No, not yet. Before I let you go, Chris, two questions I have for you. One, I need a score for you for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I think I'm going to go... I'm going to go... We'll, we'll go four and a half stars. Grant, so it is out of yeah. five, just to be clear. Yeah. Oh, it is out of five. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely not out of ten, yeah. No, I, I think I think, uh, I think Fallout is the perfect Mission Impossible film. I, I just... I had so much fun with that one. Um He's yeah, good at I, making stars as well. Like he, he, Henry Cavill, I don't think has ever been better than he is in that film. I, 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 I watch everything else with Henry Cavill, in, including the Superman films, and I'm thinking, oh god, he's trying. What's gone wrong? Like this, just a, there's there's an emptiness there with his performances. But I thought he was terrific in, in Mission Impossible. <laughs> I, I just that bathroom fight sequence is brilliant. Um, I love the way even you know towards the end there he just wouldn't die. <laughs> 
just, <laughs> he tries to blow him up every which way in that helicopter and it's just yeah it's not working uh yeah he was great he knew what was required of him and i think yeah actually cavill will probably be better at those kinds of roles he does make stars tom cruise he does well not jeremy renner though who was supposed to take over the franchise and that was that the kibosh was put on that fairly sharpish uh, so that was some that was some weird time in history where every everyone thought that jeremy renner could kick could you know should be handed every franchise no we're, we're not doing that anymore yeah, the successful Bourne spin-off, Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah he, uh, God love him. He really did try. And <laughs> finally, what would be your ranking of the Mission Impossible movies? Ah, uh, right. You think I would have prepared this? You would think so. <laughs> I'll give you more. I'll give you mine then while you have it. Okay, go for it. Go for it. Mission Impossible 2 at the bottom. Okay. I would say Dead Reckoning 6th. Okay. Mission Impossible 3, 5, Ghost Protocol 4, Original Mission Impossible 3, Rogue Nation 2 and Fallout Forest. Right. I'm going to go with Fallout for I agree with you on Fallout Forest, but I don't think Dead Reckoning should be as far down on that list. That's that's just that's just disgraceful now. Um I think I'll go with the second one last. I'll go with Ghost Protocol second last. Uh we'll put the original one then next. Maybe the third then then followed by rogue nation actually no followed by dead reckoning followed by rogue nation followed by fallers it does any did, did i did i put together a coherent list there maybe you won't agree with it but yeah i probably should have prepared my ranking before this it was coherent and that, yeah. the thing is with that, the thing is with this is there's not going to be anything where you go oh, i can't believe that even mission impossible 2 i'll be honest i quite like like if mission impossible 2 was on i'm not throwing it off so it's not as if a case of oh yeah, put that bottom or put that top. Like I should put that top of the list. I think that would be fairly egregious. But there's no real order once you get past Fallout and past Mission Impossible Two, where I would disagree with an awful lot. So it's it's not a series that I think is going to make me uh, dispute you as much as I would maybe a few other ones. <laughs> no, I just I think again, you know, look, I'd be happy to never watch the second one again. It just it's it's just it's it's creaky. I don't think anyone really. I don't think anyone's really at their best in it. You know, there are some very impressive stunts. Uh, you know, there was enough interest and buzz around it to get, you know, to to get to get another one made. But it's just it's it is quite unmemorable. Uh and it's probably a little bit unfair to put that first one all the way down the list because you know the things that the things that Brian De Palma was trying to do, the things that, you know, uh, I think everyone was 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 against the film when it first came out. You know, we were talking off air before this about how like even the original cast and a lot of the original cast from the 60s series and also from the 80s revival were asked to participate. And they said no when they saw the screenplay because they were just horrified, uh, you know. <gasps> you can't make Jim and all the guys traitors. You can't do that. And what's with all the emphasis on the stunts? And that's not what it's supposed to be about. And yeah, there was just so much. <laughs> Those was... comments of age well, haven't they? <laughs> it's just nobody, you know, nobody that was involved in the original thing was rooting for this. Uh, so it is quite funny that, you know, 28 years later, this is the best action franchise in cinema, lads. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, so sorry, getting away from the point. You know, there are you know there are some things that I love about that film, but I think this this current Macquarie run, it's unbeatable. Do you think it should end with Dead Reckoning Part, or do you think it will, or do you think like Tom Cruise said, he wants to keep doing these until he's eighty? I thought it was ending with Dead Reckoning. <laughs> I was like, and there's enough as well to suggest that. You know, at the beginning of Dead Reckoning, when he literally steps out of the shadows and he's welcoming someone to the IMF. And you're thinking to yourself, there's a weariness there now with him um, that we don't see when he's, you know, in full on mode with Ethan, that is. With just the character, you can see he wants to 
he, he's I think he's looking for a way out. And I thought that's what, you know, I, at least I thought that's what was happening, that Macquarie is kind of starting this five hour story that's going to start with him going another day. And they're all just kind of, you know, blurring into one at the stage. And then we're going to end with some sort of actual retirement this time or some sort of there'll be some sort of finality there. There might even be a death or, you know, Ethan could fake his death and go off and have a happy life with someone, anyone, Grace, maybe. Uh, that 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 we that I thought that this was you know the start of or the beginning of the end, but now he's you know cruises out on the promo trail saying, oh you know you see the way Harrison Ford is still out there playing you know Indy at eighty one that's me I want to be doing that it's like okay well then I guess this thing never ends the thing is though like Harrison Ford at sixty looks sixty Tom Cruise looks thirty now at sixty so you know. It, whatever god he's praying to is, is definitely the only we could be eight years old and still looking exactly the goddamn same everyone Chris. looks great in the everyone sorry to cut across yeah, I know go, go, try to wrap up here go keep going keep going everyone <laughs> everyone looks great in these films like you know ving rames it's like this guy's been there since the start he's in the 60s like he's still so good they've managed to make a cool superhero-esque or not superhero but super agent-esque character out of bloody simon Pegg. Everyone in this films, you go into these films, you know, with the public thinking about you in one sort of way, and you come out just the coolest agents, you know, fictional agent character in 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 cinema. I, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how they do it. I need the Mission Impossible glow up. And actually, just before we have just one thing we have to do. I think the films is missing, and that's Alec Baldwin. He gave one of the all-time great speeches in Fallout, calling Ethan Hunt the physical manifestation of destiny. Yeah. It was just, it was pure Jack Donaghy and it took every ounce of restraint I had not to jump up and start cheering in the cinema. Yeah, you think just that you think it, we, uh, you'd have given an extra star if I had Alec Baldwin in it? Absolutely. And I also, Sean Harris as well as, uh, Christ, what's his goddamn name? Solomon Lane. I thought he was a fantastic villain as well. I'd be interested. Like, he, did, he didn't die in the last one, did he? I think he's still, no, is there still an opportunity that, for him to come back. I thought he is. was fantastic. Well, there's an opportunity for everyone to come back. I mean, look, I, do you know what I loved about this one? Is well? Another thing that I loved about this, that Shea Wiggum running around trying to capture Tom Cruise, and every time he gets up to him, he's just like, ah, sure, what else would I be doing if I wasn't running <laughs> after you? And they just let him go. <laughs> and I love as well that they've started to kind of, this is what I was touching on with the fact that you've got, you know, Rob Delaney and Mark Addis and a few others in those in those opening scenes. They've also started to be co- poke fun at the little things like like the, the whole mask situation. Those scenes where Shea Wiggum's Jasper character is running around the airport trying to rip people's faces off because he thinks they're wearing masks. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So I should I should point out that not only are these films getting better they're also getting funnier and you think you know that might be a dodgy thing that they're kind of going to you know spoof ter- territory or self-parody maybe there's a tiny little bit of that but the humor it's it's clever enough and it's it's pulled off well enough here's a staff you know shay wiggum is the highest grossing actor of 2023 what else across the spider-verse he's george stacy okay right he just has a habit of popping up and everything doesn't he there, there's an anomaly for you <laughs> yeah I don't think anyone had uh, Shea Williams, the highlighting actor of uh, 2023 on their bingo card. Chris, I am going to try and wrap this up. <laughs> you are making this mission very impossible for me now. <laughs> Chris Wasser, thank you so much for joining me today. I could talk to you for a while. Well, actually, you could talk to me for a while because I've been trying to wrap this up for about 15 minutes. But I do appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much for joining. Cheers, Andy. Always a pleasure. <laughs>